0: Greetings friends, I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com Thank you. Peace. So, um... This is class uh, 32-3 of 33, um, the third class on the Anapanasati Sutta, and I think this will be the third of four classes, which means we'll finish this sutta on Tuesday, and then we'll finish this structured study next Saturday. Um, Jen mentioned last Saturday, What is did say, Tuesday, Uh that the Anapanasate Sutta would be a great frame, framework for a retreat. And it got me thinking. So when I got home over the weekend, I started putting an outline together and realized that it's much more than that. And I think our next structured study is going to be probably a 25 class or more uh, study of this sutta. Um, and uh, Jessica and Andrew, just just to give you a little bit more um, background on this, where we are, the Anapanasate Sutta is one of the most Important but uh, and uh, misunderstood and misapplied teachings. <clears throat> you may have heard the term anapanasati. Uh, literally, anapanasati means sati means mind or of the mind. Uh, anapana means a, a, awakened breath, so it's mindfulness of the awakened breath is the, the literal translation. Um, in modern Buddhism, anapanasati. The term anapanasati is usually used to describe a meditation method. Great, right? but that's but the meditation method that is often ascribed to the word is not something the Buddha taught. The Buddha didn't teach Anapanasati meditation. What he did teach was jhana meditation, which happens to use mindfulness of the breath. But it's not a broad application of mindfulness that we're meditating. We use mindfulness of the breath in a very Focus way to deepen concentration. And then it is out of that deepened concentration that we're able to support the refined mindfulness that the Buddha describes here as the result, not the focus, the result of a well-intentioned, well-focused Dhamma practice, framed by the Eightfold Path, not framed by mindfulness. And that's an important distinction because we can hold in mind anything. In the modern application of mindfulness is literally that you should be holding in mind everything you possibly can. That just jumbles our mind even more. What the Buddha taught is a very specific and very refined mindfulness that is exampled in the Anapanasati Sutta. So if you want to know how to apply mindfulness as an awakened human being taught it, we'll refer to the Anapanasati Sutta because that's exactly what it teaches. Every, every class I teach, uh, almost every uh, is recorded and so the recordings are online and the first two in this, um, on this sutta are online and again every, sutra that I, every class I've ever taught I think with the exception of three or four is also online um, and I should say that it, that can seem overwhelming at times I'm always available, just ask me a question just send me an email okay. um, so this is about halfway through and I'm going to recap what I finished with last, uh, last Saturday and this is the Buddha's description of what a jhana practice that supports refined mindfulness looks like. On any occasion, a well-informed dhamma practitioner trains themselves in this way. I will breathe in and breathe out, sensitive to rapture. Rapture, in this sense, is not the second coming it's being sensitive to or the, sensitive to my own joyful engagement with the Dhamma. That's rapture in this sense. Excuse me. I will breathe in and breathe out sensitive to the fact that I am joyfully engaged in what I'm doing. I want to do this. I want to do it because I understand the nature of true refuge. And I have done that. I've taken refuge in the Buddha, his Dhamma, and a well-informed and well-focused Sangha. That leads to rapture. I will breathe in and breathe out, sensitive to pleasure. It doesn't mean that I'm seeking pleasure. It means that I'm sensitive to the arising and the passing away of pleasure. In this sense, and in this context, it's in my thoughts, but in the broader sense, it's I'm sensitive to pleasure arising and passing away in my life. And that leads to the next. I will breathe in and breathe out, sensitive to mental fabrications, which is another way of saying I am breathing in and breathing out, sensitive to stress and suffering because stress and suffering are characterized by mental fabrications. I will breathe in and breathe out, calming those mental fabrications. So the Buddha, in his brilliance, points out the problem and immediately provides the solution. And we're not breathing in and breathing out with the intention to calm bodily fabrications or mental fabrications. I breathe in and breathe out, and as a consequence... Of breathing in and breathing out, being mindful of the breath in my body, mental fabrications calm. And that's the correct way of reading this sutta. Even those that try to use it uh, in a somewhat skillful way will then teach that the Buddha's intention here is to remind us that as I'm breathing in, I should be grasping after a mental fabrication so that I can calm it. That doesn't lead to concentration, does it? Notice that I'm caught up in a fabrication simply let it go, abandon it. That's practice for on our cushion and off our cushion. As a fabrication arises off my cushion, I recognize the stress, take a breath, unite my mind and my body, and get on with the rest of my life. I do not get into analyzing what's occurring because now I'm just using so-called Dhamma practice for further distraction. There's no analysis in authentic Dhamma practice. There's simply recognition of a fabrication and abandonment of that immediately upon recognition. That's why we need concentration. The Buddha continues, I will breathe in and breathe out, calming mental fabrications. On this occasion, this Dharma practitioner remains focused on feelings, free of distraction. What does it mean? Free of distraction, it means as a feeling arises, it's just a feeling. I don't attach myself to it. I don't analyze it. I don't want it to be any different than it is. I simply feel it and I take a breath. Ardent and alert and mindful while putting aside craving and distress with reference to the world. How would that arise? Craving and distress with reference to the world is encapsulated in the feeling that's arising. In other words, the world is encapsulated in the feeling that's arising. And if as that feeling arises, I react to it because my mind isn't concentrated, My reaction is based on my need that this feeling, this feeling that I'm having and that I should be in control of because I'm having it, I have no control over it and I lose my mind over it. And that feeling drives a thought that's attached to the feeling that we classify as an emotion. And now I'm stuck in conditioning my future thoughts about this experience. Am I being clear about this, especially to Andrew and Jessica? Are you following the progression? From a, a thought leading to a distraction and leading to uh, stress. Yes? So far, yeah. You also should know I have low vision. That's why I wear these. So I can't, uh, I can't see if you're nodding your head. No, yes, yes. I was <laughs> Sorry about that. I should have laid down. Yeah, that. we're following. Yeah. Okay, great. The Buddha continues I tell you, friends, that mindfulness of in breaths and out breaths can be seen as a single feeling among feelings. What does it mean, a single feeling among feelings? When I'm doing that, when I'm only focused on the feeling, when I'm not reacting to the feeling, when I'm not judging the feeling, when I'm not insisting that I shouldn't be having these feelings or that I should be having more of these feelings, when I'm free of all of that distraction, then I'm just feeling what I'm feeling then the world is just what's occurring, right here and right now. Mm -hmm. I have taken a very complicated way of looking at the world, due to my own conditioned thinking, rooted in the ignorance of Four Noble Truths, and I have reclaimed my mind by one simple technique. Of course, in most most people, my mind is going to have another thought that's attached to a feeling that's going to be distracting. What do I do? And the more that I do that, the more that I recognize that single feeling among feelings in this moment. I am a wise Dhamma practitioner, and I'm inclining my mind towards awakening, by that excuse me, by that simple act of engaging in jhana meditation. That's what the Buddha is referring to in every instance here, is uniting our mind and our body through mindfulness of the breath known as jhana meditation. Let me go back. Just one. I tell you, friends, that mindfulness of in-breaths and out-breaths can be seen as a single feeling among feelings, which is why this Dhamma practitioner on this occasion, on this occasion, it's an important line, on this occasion, because... This dharma practitioner is practicing correctly and with skill. On this occasion, they remain focused on feelings free of distraction. That's the greatest gift an awakened human being ever gave us. How often do we live our lives rooted to how, how our feelings are making us feel, continuing the feeling, whether it's a, a blissful feeling or a troublesome feeling? Mm-hmm. Once we attach ourselves to the feeling, then even the, if the experience was based in reality, now becomes a fabrication, doesn't it? Because I'm wanting more of it or less of it. it. What is occurring can't be any more or less. It can only be what's occurring. But as soon as my mind reacts and says, I want more chocolate cake or I want less of that argument, I've lost my mind in the situation. Is that clear? Mm-hmm. Is that clear online? And I'm using a rather exaggerated phrase to make the point, losing my mind. But it's also the truth, because in that moment, the fabrication is encapsulating my mind that is lost. And as, and, and as long as I continue the fabrication, my mind continues to wander. In the Buddhist nomenclature, verbiage, my mind continues to wander in samsara. Samsara is a metaphor for ignorance. My mind continues to wander in ignorance as long as I continue eye-making. Does everyone see that? Mm -hmm. So it is in this moment, and I say this often, you haven't heard it because you just hear In this moment is where we practice the Dhamma and it is only in this moment. And this sutta is referring to that. It is in this moment that out of my ardent and mindfulness, ardent and alert mindfulness, that I'm able to practice the Dhamma. That's called refined mindfulness rooted in concentration. Let me continue. Ardent, alert, and mindful while putting aside craving and distress with reference to the world. Wanting the world to be different than it is. Craving and distress with reference to the world. You'll hear that over and over again. Whenever a Dharma practitioner trains themselves, I will breathe in and breathe out sensitive to the mind. Sensitive means just being mindful that there's a mind that is experiencing this. There's a consciousness. There's ongoing Thinking. I will breathe in and breathe out breathe in and breathe out sensitive to the mind there remain focused on the mind free of distraction ardent and alert ardent aware and mindful while putting aside craving and distress with reference to the world so now the buddha is making the mind the, the metaphor for the world and so what's occurring in my mind this is the fourth foundation of mindfulness as well if i am at peace with it if I don't want what's arising in my mind in this moment to be any different than it is, which means that I don't want the quality of my mind to be any different than it is, whether it's rooted in pain or pleasure, or neither pleasure nor pain, if I am at peace with what's occurring in my mind, I am at peace with the world. And if I am at peace with the world, I am awakened, as the Buddha describes awakened. Of course, an awakened human being is able to maintain that. Who said that this morning? Tom, or this evening. Um, Maintaining a mind of equanimity. That's an awakened human being. Whenever a Dhamma practitioner trains themselves, I will breathe in and breathe out, satisfying my mind. It doesn't mean that in this moment my mind is unsatisfied, but I'm going to breathe in and satisfy it. It means that the simple act of jhana meditation. satisfies my mind. It's an as, it's an aspect of jhana meditation that the mind becomes satisfied by skillful practice. It's not something that I grasp after and it's not something that I judge myself harshly for when I find, wait a minute, my mind isn't satisfied. What am I doing wrong? Nothing. Except you judge yourself harshly. Be gentle with yourself and take a breath. And my mind is satisfied. I will breathe in and breathe out satisfying the mind. I will breathe in and breathe out satisfying the mind. I will breathe in and breathe out releasing the mind. Releasing the mind as opposed to this grip that we have on our thoughts. Why? Why do we grip so tenaciously to each and every thought that we have? Because there are thoughts. And we use our thoughts to create me. And because I've used these thoughts to create me, I have to hold on to them. That's called clinging. And it's called clinging to a fabricated self. And it's the cause of all distress and all dis-ease. Release the mind. I will breathe in and breathe out, releasing the mind. They remain focused on the mind, free of distraction, ardent, ardent, aware, and mindful while putting aside craving and distress with reference to the world. Again, I could be making this more complicated. I hope I'm not. But all I'm talking about is that simple act of jhana meditation and coming back to it and how it applies to each and every aspect of our confused and fabricated mind. When this occurs, the wise Dharma practitioner remains mindful of the in-breath and the out-breath free of distraction, ardent, alert, and mindful, while putting aside craving and distress with reference to the world. It's just the instruction on how to meditate. Whatever arises during meditation and what arises off our cushion in our moment-by-moment life is simply to be seen as this is not me, this is not mine, this is not what I am, by that simple method of taking a breath. And every time we find ourselves disjoined from our body, we know the problem, we know the cause. It's my own fabricated thinking, grasping after something to be different than it is. And what do I do when I find that, ha- that has occurred? Well, the most important thing is to not judge yourself harshly. In that moment, that is the most important moment to be gentle with yourself, to be free of judgment of yourself, Simply recognize what you have done to yourself, that you are the cause of your own distraction. Be at peace with it, the fourth foundation of mindfulness. Take a breath and unite your mind and your body, and get on with your life. And every time you do that, you are, as the Buddha is referring to here, and reminding us, you are that wise Dhamma practitioner that he's talking about here. The Buddha continues, I do not say that there is the development of mindfulness of breathing for one who is forgetful of these instructions. In other words, the Buddha is saying, if you don't do it, you're not going to get it. Or who is not fully aware of these instructions, not fully aware, meaning who's just doing it a little bit, who's engaging in just a little bit of effort, but not complete right effort. Again, think about the brilliance of this. This is an awakened human being teaching this 2,600 years ago, and his teachings are just as relevant today as they were 2,600 years ago, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Because we all take license with the Dhamma. We all would like to not do it quite with as much effort as we need to. Why? Because our minds are conditioned away from awakening. That's all. And again, that's the reason why we need to be gentle with ourselves. Because we are the cause of our own undoing. But... That obstinate conditioning does not yield to a full frontal attack. And how could it? Because we're the ones that are the guardians at our own gates. It can only be done with gentleness. It can only be done with understanding what we're doing. And what is that? We're undoing our own conditioned minds. And that's all. Whenever a wise dharma pr- practitioner trains themselves, I will breathe in and breathe out sensitive to impermanence, sensitive to the ever-changing nature of all phenomena. I will breathe in and breathe out sensitive to dispassion, meaning I'm mindful of it. I'm, I'm able to feel dispassion. That's the key to awakening, isn't it? Because passion for continued existence, for continued eye-making is the problem this passion through that simple act of is the key to awakening. It's the essence of this passion to unite your mind and your body without any other occurrence in that moment. I will breathe in and breathe out sensitive to cessation, the cessation of ignorance. I will breathe in and breathe out sensitive to relinquishment. Relinquishment of what? Relinquishment of all that I have made of myself because it's all fabricated. And what's left, this is going to be a little bit out of context, because I'll, I'll explain it in a moment. What's left is the sixth property person. That's all that we can ever be. In the Dhatu Vibhanga Sutta, and I won't get too deep into this, in the Dhatu Vibhanga Sutta, the Buddha teaches that each and every human being is made up of the four elements, earth, wind, fire, and water. The fifth element, known as the space element, those four elements need something a vehicle to materialize and manifest, right? That's the space element and this the sixth element of the sixth property known as the consciousness property. something has to has to direct the manifestation of that, and that's that six properties. Every human being has those six properties, but no more. And we can never be more than a six property person except that we attach to that. We can achieve things. And we can acquire things. But no matter what we achieve and no matter what we acquire, we can never be more than that six property person. And that is the most profound teaching an awakened human being ever gave, because once we understand that, we stop grasping to be anything else than a six property person. That that may in fact that is a little bit out of context, but the suit is on the website, and we'll talk more about that in upcoming classes. On this occasion this Dharma practitioner remains sensitive to all mental qualities, free of distraction, ardent, alert, and mindful, while putting aside craving and distress with reference to the world. That just means that that Dhamma practitioner is mindful of the ever-changing quality of mind, all mental qualities. Those who see with wisdom and understanding, meaning right view, those who see with wisdom and right understanding the relinquishment, the abandoning, of craving and distress, are those who have established right mindfulness with equanimity. Those that do this have established right mindfulness. The implication is that there's such a thing as wrong mindfulness, and we all know what that is. Wrong mindfulness, as far as the dhamma is concerned, is holding in mind, is holding in mind anything. That's what I. holding in mind anything that does not support awakening and that is as far as dhamma practice practice is concerned anything when this occurs this person remains mindful of all mental qualities free of distraction ardent alert and mindful while putting aside craving and distress with reference to the world this is how mindfulness of the in-breath and the out-breath is appropriately developed so as to bring the four the four frames of reference, the four foundations of mindfulness to their culmination. Give me one second, um, I'm just I'm just trying to decide if I should stop here. Yeah, I'm going to stop with this, and we'll finish. we the next section is the seven factors of awakening, and. I think I want to start the next class with that, so we'll, we'll finish. That's, that's today's class. Thank you. Um, so let's go around. We'll go online first, and I'd like to hear what you have to say. And if you see how this, um, the, the overarching effect of the Anapanasati Sutta is um, a description of over, overall Dhamma practice, and if you see how that fits. And we'll start with Jane. Jane, how are you tonight?
1: I'm well, thank you. How are you?
0: Good, thanks for asking.
1: Um, This reminded me of, um, prior to my practice, and even in the beginning of my practice, I was obsessed with the why, the analyzing. Why am I having thoughts? Especially when it was a repetitious thought. You know, the why. And, you know, now I come to understand that it doesn't matter. The why doesn't matter. I mean, even if somebody would tell me why, it really doesn't matter. It's all about coming back to the breath and the body. So...
0: Yeah, it's, it's so brilliant. And that why is almost always why me. It remind me, of, I had a, a great friend of mine years and years ago. Uh, he was a Jesuit brother. Uh, brilliant guy. And it, he happened to have, at that time, I don't know what they call it now, I'm probably PC, uh, politically incorrect when I say this, he had nine nervous breakdowns. And he used to talk about that in a very straightforward manner. We used to meet for a couple of years. We met almost every Friday night and had these great philosophical questions about it. We were going to solve the, the riddle of God and everything. But anyway, he would say, it's no big deal to lose your mind. You just get another one. And he was right. He, he, was, he was the most well-grounded, brilliant man I've ever met. Um, why was I talking about this, though? Something Jane said got me thinking about it. What did you say, Jane? It reminded me of, of Brother Ken. No, I don't
1: know. No, I said I was obsessed with
0: the why. Oh, and he used to say... And one thing you should never ask. He said, if you want to lose your mind like I did, he said, ask why. He said, never ask why. And I thought about it. We used to have discussions about it. When you think about why, why, why. And I'm not talking about someone who's actually doing legitimate research. You know, I mean, I wanted to know why the Buddha taught these things. I did some research. That was a good question to ask. But in general, why is this happening to me? Why don't I have more of this? Why this and why that? Why, is, why are politics this way and not that way? Those are the questions that are rooted in eye-making and can only cause further distress. And those are the ones we recognize and abandon. Never ask why. Thanks, Jane. How are you, Meg? Good to see you. Let me put my goggles on. I'm doing well. Thank you. Um,
1: this, um, one of the things that came up for me listening to this teaching is, um, and also my experience with practicing it, um, I started to realize that I had a habit of feeling like I had to react to everything that happens yep. in the world yep. to me or in the moment. Yep. And, and not just that, but everything that comes up in my mind, if, if I have to respond to that or react to it in some way. And this is kind of a training for how not to have to respond. Yes. <laughs> or not to have to react. It's like, uh, it's almost like giving myself permission to not have to
0: react yep. to everything. Yep. And it, there's a freedom. And that permission is, is necessary, by the way. What's that? The permission is, is necessary. The permission is required.
1: Yeah. and And so there's a freedom in that so that I can just be okay with things the way they are, no matter how they are.
0: What a thought, and, huh?
1: And, and no matter what comes up in my mind about them, in the moment or in the something that comes up in my mind about the past or the future, it's just something that's happening, <laughs> yep. you know? That's and, it. And in the next moment, it might be gone. But I don't have to entertain that, you know? So it's... Uh, it's the freedom for me. Um, And then it starts to, I notice that it starts to come up in everyday life. I start to recognize little by little, you know, it's not something that has happened all at once for me, but little by little, it starts to get easier. Yeah. So.
0: Thank you. That's, um, it's just brilliant what you said. And it, I think it could be overwhelming if it was all... If we notice, if we recognize the the uh, entirety of our eye-making, it probably would be overwhelming. But it, Dhamma practice is just like that, a little bit at a time. We recognize it as it arises in this moment, and we let it go. And if we've really let it go it it doesn't arise anymore and it's not the it's not the lack of stress arising that we notice it's it's the it's the fact that we're not engaged in that type of activity that becomes um the palpable calm that you're describing and it it, it there's no other way to describe developing dhamma practice except in the way that you just did and to recognize it that's another aspect of the anapanasati sutta that the buddha is impressing on those that are there. Notice that it's working. Notice it, because it is. Thank you, Meg. Brian, how are you?
2: Good, John. Thank you for your uh, teaching. Um, Yeah, just to echo Jane and Meg, as I continue to develop the the practice, just the cessation and and the growing dispassion for my own brain and just, I'm tired of it, right? And it's, it's, as Meg said, it's, it's such freedom to let that go and not have to react to it. And just noticing over the last couple of months, just my reactions to everything are just subsiding. And it's very calming. Yeah, the peace is, is growing and growing. So um, if you stick with it it, it, it works for sure.
0: Thank you, Brian. Those are wise words. Andrew, how are you tonight? What do you What do you think about our class? And welcome to our sangha.
2: Thank you. Uh, I mean, first off, I'm doing, doing very well. Thanks for asking. Great. And... Um, you know, I, I feel like at this point I'm, I'm fairly convinced of the power of meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a matter of, of actually sitting down and doing it. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, sit, setting setting aside the time and, and having the discipline um, and, but, but fully well knowing that if I was able to do that and, and hopefully this is the first step of, of, of getting there yeah. um, then so many, so many aspects of my life would be significantly better. I mean, it's, it's so clear that if I could only turn my mind off, and you know, nine out of ten stresses in my life—it's—it's it's not something physically happening to me in real time. It's maybe a thought or an Im- my imagination going wild about something that yep. could happen, which then leads to me being stressed out or anxious or worried, and getting control of that just seems like a, yeah, it could totally change my life. <laughs> And it will. I,
0: thank you. Andrew, it, that, that I, I think every student has said just those words um, that has stuck with it. That, that they, they need some way to control their mind. Mm-hmm. And this is the way. It's the, direct, it's the whole point. It's funny that kind of the, the modern mentality today is you shouldn't even, that like the idea of control is something that's even bad somehow. Mm-hmm. But it's our mind. Why shouldn't I want to control it? And that's the whole point of, a con- another word for concentration is well-controlled, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And it's because of that well-controlled, well-concentrated mind that we're able to integrate the Eightfold Path in, a, in, a, in ultimately a very simple and direct way. That at one point, maybe David would talk about this, doesn't take a lot of effort. In other words, it's just natural. Mm-hmm. But in the beginning, we have to do that. We have to do the right effort to integrate it. But that's part of it. it's even included in the eightfold path. Is the right effort, you know. Um, mm-hmm. If you keep doing it, you uh, very quickly you're going to feel the benefit of it. Um, on the website, there's guided meditations that you can download and listen to. Um, I suggest to everybody to start with short periods of meditation twice a day, rather than long periods, even once a day or. Some people will say, "Well, you know, I'm, I'll meditate for an hour and a half on a Saturday." Even if you do that, you're probably never going to do it again. Mm-hmm. So, short periods of meditation—five or ten minutes to start, twice a day. Uh, come to class as often as you can. I know that sounds self-serving, but that really—you you really can't do it without a, a, a well-focused sangha. Mm-hmm. Um, and very quickly, you're going to have a, an effective meditation practice. It does. Everyone here will attest, was right where you are, including me and everyone would say the same thing it did change their lives. So. Great. Like, yeah. So you're in the right place. Jessica, how was your meditation tonight in your, your class?
3: Um it was okay. Uh I I'm trying to figure out how to do it better and I'm um I think my my question is or one of my questions that you pro- I'm thinking you probably know the answer to is how you mentioned like that you can't um, you can't expect to be successful with meditation if you're just not making the effort and if you're if you're not successful. So how how do I go about making the effort without while still maintaining gentleness at all times? Like what does that look like inside my head? Is it that like I notice the thoughts and then I let them go, but I persist? I just persist with the thinking about my breath and like wait basically like wait like whatever the short time so i don't like five minutes and just like is is making the full effort just going like allotting myself five minutes and then and then just persisting five minutes not being hard on myself but persisting anytime i feel a thought just like watching it or like what does it look like to me (laughs) wow
0: jessica that is such a great i mean i um it's such a great question you're I mean, your mind is already going where it needs to go. Uh, you ask a question, what is it, what is it, and I can't remember exactly the words, but it was almost like, what does it feel like in yeah, my mind? Look, yeah, and, exactly. um oh, I, I don't know how to describe it, except, <laughs> except this way. Well,
3: what's it, my best it, it feels
0: It feels like a wonderfully soft padded room.
3: Right.
0: And it's just, it it feels, uh, but not not in a confining way. Yeah. So um, in this moment, and every human being has this ability, including you, Jessica, when you do this, in this moment, my mind is united in my body. In that moment, that's all that's occurring. Mm -hmm. A mind that is distracted will have a hard time even noticing that. But it's only because of the distraction. And it's the it's a, it's a distraction that like everything else in the, in the universe is impermanent. Mm. And this sutta speaks to that too. Understand that. That the quality of your mind right now is impermanent. Mm. And it feels like it feels because of what you've constructed but you can deconstruct it. It's entirely mm. up to you. Mm. And how do you do it? By following direction. It really is that simple. Mm. Um, if If you meditate using this method twice a day. Start with five minutes. And let me describe how that feels like. Mm. Going into meditation, knowing what it will do, and, even, and a little bit of that has to be taken on faith, I guess. But I'm going to direct you to something after, before we get done.
4: Mm.
0: Knowing that the direction is a calm and peaceful mind, that the culmination is understanding and abandoning all the cause of stress that you're inducing on yourself. Should develop this sense of joyful engagement when you go to sit, no? Mm. And I'm not telling you manufacture but just be mindful of it. This is good for me. This is why I'm doing it. And just have that thought of joyful engagement Mm. going into the five minutes. Mm. It doesn't last don't gra- I mean, if it doesn't last don't grasp after it uh-huh. but introduce it into your own mind this is thinking the way you want to think there's a very famous sutta called the Vitaka santana sutta and the closing line is we gain the ability to think what we want to think when we want to think it every time i say it i get a smile on my face isn't that wonderful mm-hmm. we gain the ability to think what we want to think when we when we want to think it meaning that every thought is appropriate to the moment so in going into meditation this is, I'm doing this for myself. It's good for me. Mm. Joyful engagement. And then engage in the practice for five minutes, following the directions that are included in the guided meditation. You begin by taking a breath in your, uniting your mind and your body, taking a breath in the body. If you're like every other meditator, the next experience is either going to be a feeling arising, distracting you from your breath, or a thought arising, distracting you from your breath, or a thought attached to a feeling distracting you from your breath. A thought attached to a feeling is an emotion, right? So you start your meditation. This is wonderful. I'm engaging in this great practice. And you have that thought or a feeling about a fight that you had at work that day. What do you do? Well, Most of us are going to judge ourselves for having the thought or the feeling. Recognize that what's going on, you're caught up in a distraction. That's all it is. Don't analyze it. What does it feel like? It feels like a nice, soft, padded room inside my mind. (laughs) Calm and peace. Nothing Nothing is out there that can distract me in this moment. And then I have another thought. And then... I noticed that I was able to tie two thoughts together, two breaths together without a feeling or a thought. Now I got it. Now I'm a great meditator. (laughs) Unite your mind and your body. It's another fabricated thought. That's what it feels like. Mm. It feels gentle. It feels purposeful. Mm. It feels mindful. Mm. And when it doesn't, it feels okay. Because you're just building a practice. So... Five minutes twice a day, I suggest you do it as soon as you get up or as close to that as you can, mm-hmm. and about 12 hours later. And the reason why I say that is most people try to fit in that second sip before they go to bed. Mm-hmm. It's better earlier in the day.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: So if you can do it like you get home from work and there's a, you know, a usual time when that is, or maybe right before dinner or right after dinner, make it as, as routine as possible. It's more important that you have two sessions twice a day than one longer session mm-hmm. because there's just something about that 12-hour separation that really helps us stay at stay our mind, stay united in our body. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all of you know that you can, you can ask me any questions as you go along. Go back to the website, start with the welcome page, and then uh, please join us. You know, we, there's now three classes a week. There's also a Thursday class. Uh, at two fifteen, we're actually going to start that this Thursday with a twenty-one class uh, structure study of Jhana meditation. So, mm-hmm. and those will be recorded, so you can listen to them too. There's a lot. Don't let it be overwhelmed. Um, be gentle with yourself. Be gentle with your practice, and uh, you'll you'll develop it. I know you will. So, thank, thank you, for you so much. My pleasure. Uh, who's right? I forgot who's right in front of me. Michael. Michael, how are you? How could I forget? Michael, it's, again, it's, it's so a good a to see you again. It's well, I just can't see you. you. No. So, what do you think of our, our class tonight?
4: Uh, I think that it was very appropriate to uh, to be here. Uh, to I you. think so. Um, I I I feel that you know the teaching is, uh, but it's great to um, um to to be uh, to, to 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 you know sort of receive the teaching from you. I've missed your tenacity. <laughs> in your... Uh, you know, uh, the way you go about it, but I, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I think that this, like, this sutta kind of describes, you know, it, it describes the way of the practice, it is, it is the, it is the practice itself, you know, and not only that, but I like that's what your life is through your practice, like, it, you know, I sort of, you know, I, I look at, I look at the, the practice of meditation itself, or the daily, the daily practice as just, a practical exercise for when you're not meditating yeah you know because then you're like you have you're taking it throughout your throughout the rest of your day or your life you know and that's how you're maneuvering it in the same way so that you're not you're not clinging and you're not getting knocked off um, mm-hmm. you know from the, from the moment or you know um, however you say that yeah, yeah. well um, said yeah, yeah so so uh, yeah I uh, it's Yes, it's wonderful to be here. I I even, um, you know, and I, you know, it's a constant learning thing too. You can always come back to this, right? I was just, just as, I forget the first woman's name when she was saying, she was asking why. I had a big, I had a big one of those this morning in my, you know, my, in my, at the end of my sit this morning, you know, asking myself why and and, and kind of knowing that I, you know, not that I shouldn't, but like even that, why am I even asking myself why, you know, like, um. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a constant, there's no, you're always developing, right? Like there's no end, there's no end to it. And it's not that you're really, and and like the practice itself is like that control is really like letting go is the control, like it kind of, you know, it's like this, right? You know, where you're like letting go of your, you know, you're taking control by letting go of what is, is coming in. Yes, You know. Yeah. Uh, wise restraint. So, right, so yep. that you're you know, you just come back to the come back to the breath. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh yeah, so it was, it was right on. I'm glad to be here.
0: Yeah, um, it's so good to, nice, you, good to see you, Mike. Yeah, I know you're busy. I hope you join us again very, very soon. Yeah.
5: Hello, Tom. Hi, John, thank you. I thought that was a really uh, Beautiful teaching and a, and a great dialogue. And uh, yeah. I'm going to observe noble silence tonight.
0: Thank you for being here. Hello, David. David's one of our in-house teachers.
5: Yeah. There's a bit of rigor that has to be developed early. Uh, and just know that with that rigor comes past the willpower, and that's when you start practicing wise restraint and then as the practice deepens you start untangling the conditioned thinking that you struggle against and that's when the space opens up and John referencing an open soft room and that's when you start finding the space not just in your meditation street corner right. into you and you realize this has arisen and is passing yeah. and it's repeat because it's not personal it's not something that is a personal thing against you it's just yeah. something that you're reacting to and we control that and that's what this practice is, is yeah. simply mm. building that space and reconditioning the way we have lived our lives about defending about who we are and what we are perceived by other people. And you're not necessarily looking to stop thinking. No be able to stop reacting to the things that set you off in a direction where there's pain and suffering and distraction and look where you are then. You're not Paying attention to the things that are important. So this is all building yeah. wiser strength, and then something even better than wiser strength is that open, calm equanimity that is truly what the Buddha is teaching. yeah Buddha is teaching the cessation yeah. of suffering, yeah. the suffering mm-hmm. that we cause ourselves. Mm-hmm. So this, like Michael said, this is a perfect uh, teaching. It, it's teaching you the Dhamma each and every moment is teaching you the Dhamma and yep. the Dhamma is teaching you how to go about your life so thank you wow.
0: outstanding the uh, it's it's the culmination of the path that's brought about by wise restraint yeah. you, know? um, you use such a such a perfect metaphor because it describes the, the uh, someone bumping into you and and not reacting uh, Think about that. What, what that means to a Dharma practitioner. That most of us, somebody bumps into us. Our first thought is going to be, you know, how how could somebody do that? How um, how inconsiderate could a person be? Instead of a, a, a wise Dharma practitioner is not going to react, and they would understand the nature of someone else's distraction that would cause them to walk into someone like that. And so you wouldn't react, and you wouldn't cause a scene, which some people might do. You're like, where you're going? Which is the same as, as going to war with someone, isn't it? So in that simple metaphor that David gave us, you see the whole problem and right there. That's why, that's why countries go to war too. Because other countries bump into you and you don't like it. And you take it personal. Instead of doing what he learned, is this is not me, this is not mine, this is not what I am. And why do I want to lose my mind over somebody else's so-called inconsideration? when I understand where it came from. Because I understand the nature of my own distress. And that's what truly brings calm and peace to myself. And it's the only thing that's going to bring calm and peace to the world. That's Not necessarily what's going to occur. And the Buddha never expected it. The Buddha never taught a salvific religion or that this could save the world. He just said, this is the nature of the world. It's the nature of the world. Don't expect it to be any different and you can live in peace. And he would say it like this, with a smile on his face, like I did, because he figured it out. And that leads to something. Um, when you go onto the website, uh, if you scroll down, you'll see uh, it says something about taking true refuge, three suttas. Um, read that when you get a chance, particularly the Tana Sutta, because it really describes what it means to take true refuge in this thing called the Dhamma. And you need to understand that if you're going to be joyfully engaged. In, and I think you're going to be, both of you, it looks like. it. So.
5: And truly, really just the most important instruction i ever received from John is be gentle with yourself. Mm-hmm. Do not think yeah. that there's a fast track or a, a set way. In.
0: Okay. Yeah, there... There, there's only Dhamma practice for Dharma practitioners, and in, in, in that way, there's not even other Dharma practitioners. As far as my own Dharma practice, i mean I'm, We are so fortunate that we have a well-focused sangha here, um, but I don't. No Dharma practitioner should judge their practice in relation to other people because that that's a fabrication too, isn't it?
5: I try to join. Mm-hmm. It, it just the the support because you hear other people's stories and you see their struggles. And you see someone say something in a corner that he's been here for three days and he gives you some insight. And it really is, and it's only one subject. We only speak about Dhamma and and that focus is a a support system. So,
0: Yeah, Yeah, the only thing we talk about here, the only thing I teach are... Uh, suttas that I know the Buddha actually taught. And the suttas that I use are suttas that I restored back to what, as best as we, as best as I can uh, figure, uh, is what the Buddha actually taught originally. So, um, we'll, we'll conclude this, I think. <laughs> I thought this was going to be two classes, but it's going to be at least four. We'll conclude this on uh, Saturday and then conclude this study um, with the Upada sutta um, I'm confusing myself, but at some point we're going to conclude this study and start another one. (laughs) I think in two weeks, two classes. We'll conclude like we always do uh, with the Karaniya Metta Sutta. Uh, So again, take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath. And these are the Buddha's words on Metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta as restored by the Amaravati Monastery in London. Buddha's words. Let none, through anger or ill will, wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, Free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being free from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class tonight. Thank you, Peace. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com Thank you Peace